everybody and welcome to the football outsiders radio hour not on the radio and not always an hour but always on twitch.tv slash fb outsiders thursdays at 1 p.m eastern 10 a.m pacific later on on youtube and on the football outsiders podcast network i'm aaron Schatz. i'm here with mike tanyer Thank you so much for enjoying, uh, for joining us this week and enjoying us this week. Thank you for both joining and enjoying us this week. And we're in the sort of dog days of June. This is when the NFL is pretty dead. We're after mini camps. We're before regular camps. We're finishing up the almanac, but there aren't a lot of NFL stories. So we thought that this week we would instead take a look back at sort of the history of advanced analytics in the NFL and how football outsiders got started, where DVOA came from, and uh, how we got to the point we are at today, because uh, Football Outsiders is about to celebrate its 18th birthday, believe it or not, at the end of July. We will be 18 years old, which means Football Outsiders is old enough to vote. It's only appropriate (laughs) that I finally got an AP and MVP, all pro and MVP vote last year because now Football Outsiders is old enough to vote, and uh, I uh, am voting. (laughs) Old enough to buy scratchers, too. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll finally win some money. Right. Go down to the Stop and Rob, buy some scratchers. Nothing says analytics experts like a little bit of uh, of petty gambling. Raises for everybody. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. So we teach... um, For those who don't know, Mike and I teach a class on advanced football analytics for the sports management worldwide online classes. And we actually do a class on the history of NFL stats. And so in just a couple minutes, do a really, really condensed version of that. Advanced NFL stats basically start with a dude named Salem Qureshi, who worked for the Dallas Cowboys in the early 60s. And they were the first team, this is back when teams used to like draft by buying a copy of Street and Smith's and looking (laughs) at who were the prospects before the season. And they were the first team to ever use a computer. And they put together a study of scouting reports and discovered that they could judge players based on five variables, which were character, mental alertness, competitiveness, fitness, and strength explosiveness, which is, it's interesting, three of those are mental and only two of those are physical. It's really, it says old school NFL guys, like we have computers and data, let's put all the intangibles (laughs) to the computer and see what comes out. Like, let's not put 40 times or bench press numbers in there. Let's put how much heart they have in it and see what the computer tells. But it actually was really good. Like it cooked out like Bob Hayes, who had barely played football in college and ended up being a Hall of Famer. Like it kicked him out as a top prospect. It ended up building the Cowboys team that didn't win Super Bowls, but made Super Bowls in the early 70s. Right. 
Uh, the other the other thing the computer did back then was create the NFL passer rating, which everybody slags on now, but was actually a really nice advancement in the late 60s, early 70s. Good. The problem the problem with NFL passer rating is that it's designed for the early 70s. <laughs> and all the baselines are based on what stats looked like in the early 70s. And that's not anything like what NFL stats look like now. Right. And there were two elements of that. Like one, like you said. You know, back then, a great quarterback would throw 25 interceptions in a 14-game season. That was part of it. And, uh, you know, uh, completion rate of 52% was, like, incredibly efficient. And, of course, we're way past that now. The other element of that is it was built for slide rules. It was uh, – the, the passer rating came at a time when even a pocket calculator, uh, a calculator you would have on a phone, was, like, state-of-the-art technology. So if you look at how – nowadays we do – if you do passer rating, you do it on a quick spreadsheet or there's a calculator on the Internet – Back then, it was like an actuarial table that you would look at, say, 52.8%, and you would go across and find the number that you would plug in because they were built for slide rules. And we're only talking about the early 70s here, but that's how primitive the, uh, the technology was. So no wonder there weren't a lot of analytics because there right. wasn't a lot of technology to do it with. So Bill James comes along with his uh, baseball abstract in the late 70s. Bill James comes along with his baseball abstract in the late 70s, and it wasn't too long after that that people tried to copy it by doing other sports. So there actually was, at some point, a book called Football Abstract in the 80s. I don't right. think either of us has a copy of that. Nope. That got, that got thrown away with my old baseball cards, I'm afraid. But I do have this, which is yeah. Alan, Alan Barra's Football by the Numbers 1986. And it includes a power rating that's sort of similar to the simple rating system that they use at Pro Football Reference, okay. you know, adjusted for home and away and for the opponents that you played. It has these fun little graphs of how teams did week to week. Does that look that's familiar? Nice. Yeah, you, that influenced somebody. I, um, I can't get over the cover on, the, uh, on that. I, I love the one lineman who is like the broad, the length of like, it's like uh, uh, Rob Liefeld. This is like guys. the guys from NHL ice hockey. Yeah. So you had the skinny guy and then the fat guy and then the medium guys, and you could make right. a team up of the different guys. Right. It was, it's delightful. Thank you. Nerd Jock 48, by the way, just commented. Don't forget, this is on Twitch. So you can ask us all the questions you want to in the Twitch chat. And we encourage you. And Nerd Jock 48 just put up a really kind comment about a huge thank you to both of us never dipped his toe into analytics until he saw our stuff and uh i really appreciate that thank you so much you. this is so we're telling you today sort of how we got started so you know where it comes from right so um the big game buddy hidden the game. big book yeah this is the book that really started football analytics like even though people did some stuff before this mm -hmm. this is the hidden game of football this is the second edition. The first edition came out in 1988. The second edition came out in 19, uh, sorry, the first edition came out in 1988. Right. The second edition came out in 1998. Bob Carroll, Pete Palmer, and John Thorne wrote this. Right. Now, John Thorne is a well-known baseball historian to this day. Uh, Pete Palmer was a rival of Bill James's for many years. If you go back far enough, you remember Bill James and Pete Palmer would take shots at each other in their annuals. Uh, th this was like a, a like a, a rivalry, uh, uh, 
uh, Bill James had runs created and stuff and Pete Palmer his own things. And there was like, there was like a little East coast, West coast thing going on there. And Bob Carroll, late, great legendary NFL historian and a cantankerous <laughs> individual. Those of us who got to, to, to trade emails and talk to him a little bit. Uh, and that book is unbelievably influential. I know you'll talk about that some more in terms of what they did, but it was kind of like he made one book and there was a market for an, an annual. And he was like, not, not, not going to do it. And then 10 years later, did it again. And like, not, can't be bothered with this. Right. It covers all the stats from 1997. But by the time I bought it in like 2000 or 2001, I can't remember which, but all these <laughs> stats were completely out of date. Right. Because they didn't do an annual book out of it. They just did this one edition. But yeah, it was hugely influential. Uh, success rate. The whole idea of success rate in football comes from the hidden game of football. The idea that we should judge plays based on how many yards they get based on the down and distance and the situation right. came from hidden game. Like, I think that's the most important thing that I took when I created DVOA. Um, right. But they, they would be like, yeah, a, a 10 yard gain changes the probability of winning or of scoring. I forget exactly how he did it by this yeah. percent. And that was unbelievably mind-blowingly groundbreaking. There's also an expected scoring, uh, expected scoring, uh, like expected points added model in here. And it's not the first ever expected points model, but we should also, you know, give a shout out to Virgil Carter, who is a legend. So Virgil Carter is a legend for two reasons. He was a quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals in the late 60s, early 70s. First of all, Virgil Carter is one of the reasons why the West Coast offense exists. Because when uh, Greg Cook got hurt, who was the awesome rookie quarterback from 1968, uh, Bill Walsh, they were stuck with Virgil Carter and he did not have the arm strength to get the ball downfield. So they created the West Coast offense with all those short horizontal routes to something that would fit Virgil Carter's strengths. Yeah. But in the offseason, Virgil Carter was a math student at BYU and using one of those old mainframe computers with the punch cards, mm -hmm. he actually created the first ever expected points added model for the NFL. Right, right. And I'll say one more thing because I was like, oh, yeah, Bob Carroll didn't want to do an annual. The reason why the stats took two or three years to bake back then, well, first of all, it was hard to get game books and things like that. Right. And secondly, the the software, and we were talking about the late 80s and all, we're still at Lotus 123 spreadsheets uh, for a lot of this stuff. So to be able to, to, to get and crunch these numbers on early D bases and early uh, spreadsheets was unbelievably labor intensive. So for Palmer, Thorne, and, and, and uh, Carol to do that, it took almost an entire offseason just to get the material. Coral Skipper says, as an incredibly lazy person, I can appreciate not wanting to do the work of revising a book every year. That's true. That's yeah, true. It's a lot of work. I know because we do it and we're in the middle of it right now. Right. Uh, Nerdjock48, sort of on a different subject, but isn't there a coach who only does onside kicks and never punts because oh, yeah. the probability of the other team scoring does not improve all that much if they start the ball on their own 20 or 40? Yes, that is yeah. Kevin never Kelly. Punt. And he is now the coach at Presbyterian College, which is a Division II school. And we are going to see how his stuff works in Division II because right. we've only seen it in high school so far. Right. Remember a high school punter, high school kicker? That's different. It's not somebody who can touchbacks all the time. Uh, you know, so 
we're just going to onside kick because our kicker's only going to get it to like the 25 yard line. There's going to be a 15 yard return anyway. And your, hi- translates. Yeah. your high school players don't have much time to practice fielding onside kicks. So other right. teams never had chance, never really practiced fielding onside kicks that much. And all of a sudden they'd have to face them all game long. I would think college teams will have more chances to practice and NFL teams would have way yes. more chances to practice. Right. Except for the Falcons, maybe who might just, well, they can't throw Julio Jones out there. and yeah. doesn't know what the rules are while we're doing show and tell. I want to, I want to do something here. Um, one of the things, while there was not much in terms of annuals, I don't think were you, were you a strat player, Aaron? Stratomatic? I APBA? played stratomatic baseball and okay. basketball, but I never ah. played stratomatic football. Stratomatic basketball, it took 17 hours to complete a game. Yes. And I think that was a little shorter than football. Football took about 18 hours to complete a game. They were great. I, I played them from years. I played APBA, Avalon Hill Sports. Um, and they were unbelievable because when you're looking at a card, and a card is a probable, probabilistic model, and you're rolling the dice and you're trying to figure out what happened, the card won't lie to you. The card won't lie to you and say, well, 3.6 yards per rush is better somehow than 7.2 yards per pass. And I think there was a generation of us, I think you and me and a lot of other people who were playing those games. And from it, we were trying, we were, and reading Bill James and all, we were like, well, what does this mean for football? Now I don't have, I couldn't find any APA cards. I couldn't find any Strat football cards, but the folks at Stratomatic Baseball, check this out. Years ago, gave me my own card. So there's my, and you see that's my, that's my Mike Tanier Stratomatic baseball card. Uh, so that's a little commemorative gift I had. I was, I was a slugging third baseman here with a uh, great fielding rating. I think they took a Mike Schmidt card for me and chopped Mike Schmidt off and put Mike Tanier on here. So that was like one of the things that was working in the background. And when you get to the 90s, I ever get to the 90s hidden game, that's when Stats Incorporated started putting out that. Yeah, and, and you've got some of the old Stats Incorporated books, which I don't have copies of. Right. This was in 1996. Now, it's very well loved because I would use these things. I was trying to like write annuals and do fantasy guides and write for things back even in the 90s. And all this was was page after page of splits. But I'll tell you, I'm gonna, here's Terrell Davis. That's good. See if I can get, let me know. Is that visible? Unfortunately, there's a little bit of a of a of a glare. No, okay. it's there's a delay on the actual broadcast, so okay. I can't see it until about three seconds after you put it up. But yeah, gotcha. you can see that. All right, cool. And, and you can get all this stuff on Pro Football Reference now. Lickety split with you know just flip flip flip, and here it comes. But this was completely groundbreaking that I know in 1995, Terrell Davis 24 carries inside the 10 yard line, 70 yards, six touchdowns. Obviously, information a fantasy owner and fantasy was getting very, very popular in the 90s would have wanted. Splits about, uh, uh, you know, down in distance, what he did on first down. None of this stuff was available. I think like a lot of people who do fantasy or fans who like go on and they click a guy's thing, none of this stuff was available. It started to become available from Stats Incorporated in the 1990s. And they would write um, books like the Prospectus, like the Almanac, but they were very breezy. It was like, Hey, did you know that Brett Favre led the league in third down completion percentage or something like that? And that's great. I, I wanted to know that. I think like beat writers at the time wanted to know it, but it wasn't like super, super, they weren't doing analytics. They were just doing a lot of stats. And they did have some charting in there, right? Very, I'm not sure how much they did. They, I think they did some in their books that were narrative based. 
But in here, I don't know how much charting they did, but it was game book type stuff, like middle of the field, right sideline, left sideline. They did do shotgun, two wide receivers, three wide receivers. Yeah, wide so receivers. So they, they were, were doing, doing like personnel charting. Yeah, they were doing some personnel charting and things like passes dropped. Like you can get it, you could not get drop pass information in the 1990s. You had no idea if somebody dropped five passes, 15 passes, whatever. This was starting to come out. It wasn't getting widely disseminated, though. I don't know how many people were buying these. They stopped making them after a couple of years. Right. They were not, people did not buy a lot of copies of the stats football scoreboard. So they stopped making it. Right. Right. And so that created a void. And who jumped into that void? Well, actually, before Football Outsiders jumped into that void, there were two other gentlemen who jumped into that void. So Baseball Prospectus in 2002 expanded into doing other sports and they got John Hollinger, who I think a lot of people know, to write a basketball prospectus. And they got two guys named Sean Lehman and Todd Grenier to write a football prospectus. And this is before Football Outsiders was created. In fact, the honest truth is, I don't often mention this part of the Football Outsiders uh, origin story. One of the reasons that Football Outsiders came about was a sort of a reaction to the Lehman Grenier prospectuses because of what I felt that they missed. They said in the intro to the book that they had a database of play-by-play and then they didn't do anything with it. Everything, all their stats were based on season totals. There was nothing that involved like a database of play-by-play in any way. No expected points added model, no success rates, like none of the cool stuff from Hidden Game was in this book. Yeah, and uh, this is the original copy here, I believe, uh, 2002 edition. Yeah, I have my 2003 right here with Mr. Vic on the cover. Mr. Vic on the cover. And, you know, and and to to what you're saying, uh, they did have a method. And the method, there was something called Pro Plus. And I don't know how deeply, I didn't go back and like reread it because it's like, it's this was 18 years ago or whatever. But it was really just, they took uh, like yards per carry and they like gingerbreaded it to a little degree. I don't know what they did to it, but they, it was like- they took a lot of stuff and put it on a zero to 10 scale. Mm-hmm. The idea that you could compare a defensive player to an offensive player by putting like yards per carry on a zero to 10 scale and then putting- this sort of fantasy football-esque formula of like four points for a tackle and two for an assist and six and whatever, and putting that on a one to 10 scale and that then you could compare the two. Right. And I think they were taking for like a running back yards per rush and then bonus for a touchdown and then like takeaway points for a fumble, something like that. Really pretty simple, simplistic. Like you could take the back of a football card and you could kind of throw in and and, and make this. And, And like you said, they talked about, well, we have a database of every play. But what would happen is I've got Ladanian Tomlinson. I pulled him up here because I remember I, I wrote a letter to the to the to these authors uh, complaining about the product, and I'm sure I came across delightfully because I'm very, was very professional. Thank but, you, uh, by the way. Before you read that letter, thank you to XERX88 Red for following us and watching the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not reading the letter because I probably went full carrot on them, but uh, <laughs> like Ladanian Tomlinson, rookie year, so he averaged three point. Eight, six, I'm sorry, my glasses are foggy. 3.6 yards of carry. They gave him a rating of negative 239. Whatever their rating was, he was negative 239. So Ladanian Tomlinson was garbage. He was, he was committing a war crime every time he stepped on the field. He was so bad for the Chargers. And then they would, so they said this, but the, the lack of comfort in their own uh, 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 method here. Then they uh, write their uh, commentary on Ladanian and said, after taking him fifth overall, the Chargers were excited about their new ball player. 
not ball carrier, and his play during the 2001 season did little to dissuade them. He led all rookies with yards and touchdowns on the ground. He had 1,603 combined yards to set a new team record. He started all 16 games. So they have a, rate, a rating that slags the rookie Ladanian, and they're so, like, not in faith to what they did. That's a little faith in what they did. That they just kind of gloss over, like, oh, he had a great rookie year, blah, blah, blah. Now, if, if we have – if somebody like Carson Wentz has a negative through the bottom of the barrel DRDVOA, in our commentary, we talk about that. Yeah, I mean, if it's because of the, like, offensive line, we'll say, you know, right. we think this is a talented running back who's stuck behind a terrible offensive line. But we – I mean, I go through – the book every year and constantly I'm like, where are the extremes in the stats? And can we explain when the stats really disagree with, you know, this conventional wisdom. And, and the other thing, and I get ahead of the story a little bit, when I finally checked out football outsiders website one day, 17 years ago, you had DVOA and you had DR. Right. It, was D, it was DPAR at that point. It was oh defensive points added above replacement. Yeah. That's actually better, but we're not, I'm not going to get into that right now. It's like it's got, it's got par in it, but uh, and it's like, oh yeah, the recognition that a guy who might be below average on a per carry basis but carries the ball hundreds of times it is adding value, et cetera, et cetera, and that that was one of the things that you had baked into the, the method at that point. And that's something these guys like didn't really have. So, but like I sent them an angry letter and they fired back at me and we told each other to go to hell. You didn't. You it went differently for you. Overfloater eight says to read the letter. By the way, you you, you talk. I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, so this, this is what I this get. This is not the letter. This is a placeholder. This is a this is a bill for Verizon. Go on. This is uh, where I get into how Football Outsiders was created. So basically, there were two things that sort of you know engineered the creation of Football Outsiders. The first was that I had these two books. I had Pro Football Prospectus and I had Hidden Game. And there were all these good ideas from Hidden Game that were not in Pro Football Prospectus. And I was like, why did they not use any of these cool ideas <laughs> from Hidden Game? Like, I can do something with this. The other was, as I've often talked about, Ron Borges, who I believe writes for the Boston Herald now, but he wrote for a long time for the Boston Globe. He is the Boston-based, like the Patriots representative on the Hall of Fame committee, for example. So in 2001, when the entire New England area split into the Brady people and the Bledsoe people, Ron Borges was basically the captain of the Bledsoe people, the <laughs> anti-Belichick. He was the anti-Belichick guy. Oh, God. So in 2002, when the Patriots missed the playoffs, even though by our numbers, that was actually a better regular season team than 2001, but they missed the playoffs on a tiebreaker. He wrote that the reason the Patriots missed the playoffs was because they couldn't establish the run. And that didn't make any sense to me because the team that Ron Borges favored for the championship was the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> now we know now it's because Ron Borges had, you know, that's where his, his um, sources were. Mm -hmm. But at the time I'm thinking the Oakland Raiders, their running back is Charlie Garner, who's a mm -hmm. pass catching back who barely runs the ball. Right. So how can you both believe that establishing the run is hugely important and that Oakland is the best team in the NFL? 
So I'm like thinking to myself, Bill James, when he wanted to know how many stolen bases catchers or pitchers were allowing, he went back to the sporting news and he counted it out of box scores. And I'm like, I can do the same thing. Let's count out of box scores. So that's when I took uh, ESPN's play-by-play from the 2002 season and I cut and pasted it into Excel. (laughs) and created this database of every play from the 2002 season so that I could see, did teams that ran more early in games win more games? Like right. not, not that ran well, but just that ran the ball, right. right? All that mattered was that you run the ball early. And of course, what I found was that that's not the case. What I found was what analytics knows now, which is that high carry totals come about from running out the clock late in games not from succeeding early in games. It's very right. rare right. for a team to be more efficient running the ball than passing the ball. Now, of course, but nobody was writing about this in 2003. Right, right. And let's say Carol Thorne and Palmer were saying the same thing in the 80s. And they were kind of being ignored because, and, and what happened, I, I got to take everybody back to 2003, 2004, 2002. Nowadays, when a offensive coordinator says, establish the run in a press conference, Twitter explodes, the nerd rage on Twitter coming out of all of the analytics people, and then like sort of casual fans, and then even beat writers like, ha ha, establish the run, how silly. Back then, if a, if a coordinator or coach said, we're going to establish the run, all the beats, all the comments like, yep, that's good, good old-fashioned philosophy. No one said running backs don't matter. No one said you, you win by passing. Only a few, you invented that. <laughs> you invented that. Like all that nerd rage, that begins with you t- taking this step back then. In part because we had the internet, right? Hidden Game could write about that a little bit, but then the book disappeared into the remainder section of bookstores. Right. Whereas the internet started and we were the first really substantial uh, analytics website on the internet. There were a couple of sites before us. There was twominutewarning.com. There was cheatsheets.net, which was uh, eventually became footballguys.com. Right. which still exists, which was yeah. all fantasy football focused, but very analytical. Got out Matt Cecil, all the guys there. And uh, David Dodds. Yeah. yeah. The, the, we lie. That's a great site. It has always been a great site, but um, we were really the first site because I'm a bit of a media whore. And because I had connections from my old life at Lycos, where I wrote that column about what people search for on the internet, right. we got the word out there about, football outsiders and got people to start paying attention to us. Can you explain what Lycos was? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we say, oh, God, so I was working at Lycos. What was Lycos? Once upon a time, yeah. there were more than two search engines. Right. Right? Now you have Google, mm-hmm. which is used by anybody who doesn't work at Microsoft. <laughs> and you have Bing, which you use if you do work at Microsoft and they're checking to make sure you use Bing. Yes, or you're on a TV show that is sponsored by Microsoft so that when the characters say, we have to look up who the killer is, go Bing it. And that's and, and the entire show screeches to a halt when people casually say <laughs> Bing it uh, so that like the CSI can start typing. Go on, so. Back in the day, there was AltaVista, there was Ask Jeeves, there was Yahoo, there was yeah. Lycos. Lycos was this internet search engine based out of Waltham, Massachusetts. Um, and I worked there for three years. And how much, 
by the end, were you working on what became Football Outsiders and DVO? How often were you working for Lycos when you were sitting at the desk? I'm not going to answer that on the grounds that it may incriminate me. Right. Lycos has one lawyer left somewhere doing class actions <laughs> against former employees. Um, that, that's amazing. So, but like in that era, so you're talking about that Lycos and everything. Ain't no pro football talk, right? That comes I later. don't think pro football talk existed yet there was hardball talk that did baseball but i don't think pro football talk yet existed right or if it did it was florio making comments that would get him canceled now because that's how that started florio was very different <laughs> in the beginning yes <laughs> no dead spin back then no dead spin that's correct no dead spin uh pro football reference no right no pro football focus because they started after us they started right. i believe in night in, in 2006 a large percentage of us, I think when I began working for you, I was just crossing over to broadband from dial-up modems. Yes, I had a dial-up modem at home when I started Football Outsiders, yes. Right, right. So, and you, we weren't able to get on the Wayback Machine and find an original screenshot, where we? Oh, I think, I think, I hope so. I hope we've got original screenshots of Football Outsiders. We were supposed to find them, and then I forgot before the show started <laughs> to say... Do we have the screenshots? Like, did we set up the screenshots? So I don't know if we have the screenshots or not, but if we have the screenshot of the original Football Outsiders, Philip, this is the time to show it. Philip it's Truman is the producer of the show. If we have the screenshots, no audio when we show the, the sound went away when we put on the visual. In many ways, it's still 2004. Yeah, in many ways, we're still <laughs> learning how to use this Twitch machine. Okay, yeah. we apologize that the sound went away when we put the visual up, but you saw then the double, uh, the double windows, the double scrolling windows um, with extra <laughs> points on the windows. bottom and articles on the top. <sighs> uh, and there were guest columns. There's a guest column here by Michael David Smith before he was a regular writer for us. Now, of course, right. he's with Pro Football Talk. So yeah, this is the original Football Outsiders. You tell me what it was like for you on the outside when you first found out about this site in 2003. Uh, you know, I, I heard about it, but the, first of all, in fairness, the entire internet looked like this. You know, I would go to the Sporting News' website, which was part of AOL, because AOL had this big portal and you were afraid to kind of like navigate away from AOL because you might like stumble into like porn, which at the time was like actually like trying to infiltrate you as opposed to what we do now, which is just go find it. Uh, but like, so, so you know, I would go to sporting news and it was like this ugly thing and you'd go to caught on the fly and there'd be this little cartoon fly going. Hey, 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 hey. So this didn't look bad. I didn't, nothing about that looked bad. It looked very professional. Very few sites had uh, had images because we were still at a time when the image might go like that thumbnails and things like that were still kind of new along the way. So, you know, it's a long story how I got to you, except that uh, I had a friend in the Stratomatic League who said, you know, you're a frustrated writer. You're writing anonymously for fantasy sites and things like that. You should check these guys out. And I was like, screw the prospectus people. I, I, I you know, I told them to go, go cut bait, you know, a couple of years ago, like different guys. And we went on there. And while, again, it, maybe it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing. We're not the most aesthetically pleasing people. But, you know, it, it was it was good data and I was blown away by the fact that you were doing those that situational information that you had DVOA and DUR that oh the power ranking quote unquote of DVOA breaks down to uh offense defense quarterbacks running backs it's all one system 
And it all made a lot of sense. And that's why I decided I got to reach out to you and try to get some bylines here. And Michael was writing and you were writing and Russell were writing. It's like, this is something I, I really wanted to be a part of. Yeah, there was a punk rock energy back then. I don't know if you got that impression. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I did this on the side when I had another job. Then I lost, right. I lost my other job in February of 2004, right after the Janet Jackson Super Bowl thing got a bunch of attention for Lycos mm -hmm. for internet searches. And then I lost my job. Right. And by the September, the New York Sun, for people who oh, remember the, the New York Sun newspaper, was a conservative alternative to New York newspapers. It was trying to be an intelligent conservative alternative to the New York Times. No and they, what they decided to do for a sports section was they figured everybody who bought the New York Sun bought other newspapers. So yeah. they didn't need sports writers who did game stories. Instead, what they did was they went out and they got all the analytics people to write mm -hmm. their sports section. So it was like me and the other Football Outsiders people and John Hollinger writing their basketball stuff and Baseball Prospectus writing their baseball stuff. Wow. And I wow. was making enough money off of that and one column a week for ESPN that I could go off unemployment and Football Outsiders has been my living ever since. Oh my goodness. That, and, and like a lot, like we joked about Florio earlier. A lot of us were doing that. A lot of us were just like, hey, it's the wild, wild west on the internet. You've got a stat. He had legal information that was useful when Michael Vick started like doing things with with uh, doggos, uh, and and we came up. And next thing you know, like we're everywhere because uh, somewhere along the way, the New York Times profiled you, right? Yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing: the New York Times profiled me at Lycos. Okay. There is a New York Times article about me. Well, while Aaron tries to figure things out, I will continue. I will tell you the real story of the origin of DVOA. And the story goes something like this. I don't know why I'm muted. Can you hear me at all? Now I can hear you. Hello. I'm back. Okay. I'm back with audio. It is. I'm seeing a little thing saying your bandwidth is low. So. Great. That's fabulous. <laughs> um, I need to. Uh, yeah. I'll have to figure that out. Thank you for pumping product, Mike. Very professional. Jay Molnar 94 points out how professional that is. And by the way. Overfloater8 says that the two of us skewing the dark ages of football annuals would be a great show. <laughs> we'd have to go buy some more of them. Worst of all, we'd have to read some more of them. And I don't like writing, reading our early stuff that we did because we'd like have to rip ourselves. I think we're going to do that in a couple of minutes. I don't, I don't want to read some of these things. So, so note to Philip, by the way, when we produce this as a podcast, let's try to cut out the dead air if that's possible. I apologize for that. So, uh, this is where I should talk about how DVOA got created, right? So I yeah. had the hidden game and I had this database of every play from 2002. And I'm like, let's do something with this. So what I did was I created a thing that counted up success points from hidden game using the hidden game success points model to figure right. out which players had the most success. And then I adjusted it based on the teams that they played against. But what happened was I ended up with Mike Allstott as the <laughs> best running back in the league. Because he had, because it was DVOA, so to speak, at that point, right? It, at it? that point, it was just defense adjusted value. Right. There was no average. And right. Mike Allstott got the ball in situations that were hugely important. 
right leverage. Right. And where it was kind of easy, right. It's easy to score a touchdown from the one yard line. It's a lot easier to score from the one yard line than it is from the 10. Third and one, he's getting the carry. And he had a bunch of those and a bunch of first down conversions and a bunch of touchdowns. So he came out as the most valuable running back in the league. And I'm like, that's wrong. Right. Like I've got to do something to change that. And that's when (laughs) I came up with the idea of DVOA which was value over average, which was comparing Allstott's third and one runs to other third runs. Comparing Allstott at the goal line to other runs at the goal line. And I did that, Priest Holmes came out as the most valuable running back in the game, and that made a lot more sense. Right, right. And then DVOA also, DPAR, I guess it was, came along right around the same time. Right, because the idea of that was we had players, I think Jeremy Shockey was the one who made me create it. We had players who would have below average DVOA, Mm -hmm. but they would, um, they had below below average DVOA, Mm -hmm. but they carried the ball a lot and they had usefulness. And the idea was that it was better to have 10% above average with 300 carries Right. They have 10% above average, but with only 80 carries. Right, right. And even if you're slightly below average, but you're above replacement level and you're out there because of your, you know, your durability or, or whatever, because there's nobody better than you and you're at least out there doing the job over again, again that has value. Right. And that's so something that, that predecessors didn't quite ever wrap their heads around. You know? Yeah, I put that in a points, a points uh, format. Right. And then later on, I changed that to yards. And a That's lot of people still argue over which was better, DPAR or DYAR. <laughs> I think the problem now is that if I used a points measuring system, people would think that it was an expected points added metric. Yeah. Because yeah. there are so many EPA metrics out there right. that people would be like, why is your EPA metric different than this other EPA metric? And I'd be like, wait, it's it's not an EPA metric. Like, right. It's a success rate. Like there's two ways to really do a system here. You can either do an expected points added system Mm -hmm. or you can do a success rate based system. And what I did was a success rate based system. Our special teams, special teams are based on an expected points added system. And by the way, when I launched Football Outsiders in July of 2003, there was no special teams. (laughs) It took took Dante Hall having Uh, the amazing first half of 2003 that he had for right. me to create a special teams metric. Wow. Well, let me ask you this. How do you create a uh, website in 2003? There was no, you know, now there's like Squarespace and everything. What did you do then? So conveniently, I had a friend, one of my fraternity brothers from Brown University who was in website design. Right. So the original Football Outsiders with the logo that we basically still use that, that font to this day right. was created by Benji Rose in his off hours. And the original staff of Football Outsiders was essentially me and my fraternity brothers from college. It was Ian Dembski and Al Bogdan writing Scramble for the Ball, which was they had written a column for a wrestling site that was going to expand (laughs) into all sports. So they took their football column when that wrestling site went back to doing just wrestling. They brought it over and they were the other column. When Football Outsiders started, there were only two columns every week. There were DVOA ratings on Tuesdays and there were scramble for the ball on Wednesdays. And then there was an open discussion thread on Fridays and that was it. And New York sun. 
and writing for the New York Sun and once a week doing quarterback numbers for the ESPN page two. Remember ESPN page two? Uh, yeah, I do. Now you mention it, it all comes back to me. That's where quick reads started. I, what I did was I did DPAR for every quarterback in the league every week and wrote a comment about each quarterback. And that eventually became the quick reads column that we still run now. It just popped into my head. Remember when we almost joined Fan House? Yep, we almost joined Fan House. And then we did join Fox. Although before that, we joined the Prospectus guys. Yes. So this yes. is where I should point out in 2004, I got a call from, I can't remember if the first person who called me was Nate Silver or Ooh. Christina Cop. Some guy named Nate Silver used to work for Prospectus. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I think happened it was actually time. Christina Carl who called me okay. first because Christina worked at Brassies, which was the publisher of Prospectus. Like okay. Christina not only worked for Prospectus, but Christina worked for Brassies. So she called me and said, the Prospectus didn't do well the first couple of years. We really like what you guys are doing. Will you, it sucked. Will, you, will you co-write with Lehman and Grenier? So I drove out to the Basketball Hall of Fame, which was halfway between where they lived in Rochester and where yeah. I lived in Belmont, Massachusetts. And we had a meeting about combining forces for the 2004 Pro Football Prospectus. And we ended up doing it. But for some reason, we, they only used DVOA in one essay at the start of the book. Right. You couldn't, you couldn't improve on Pro Plus and it's negative 275 they, ratings. They didn't use it like in all the player comments the way we do now, anything like that. So Prospectus but, ended up taking their name off the book. I don't know what exactly is the story behind that. Right. But the book was published as Pro Football Forecast. Hold this beauty up here. Got a copy of it right here. Yeah, Sean Lehman, Todd Grenier, and the Football Outsiders. Right. So you're the you're the Anna, and you're like the Pips. Even though I'm yes. guessing a, a lot of that was you. I know the other guys wrote a little bit, but it was all your work. It was me. Thank you for following us, Rev Three Dude, and Thank you. our little Tom Brady following us picture there in the corner. <laughs> um, it was me, Al mm -hmm. Bogdan. Mm -hmm. Russell Levine, who used to write Confessions of a Football Junkie, which was right. our first college football column. Love you, Russ. And Michael David Smith, who Love writes now for Pro Football Talk. Yep. And you guys did that, but it had the forecast label on it. I don't think I ever purchased this particular thing. I, it, it was that thing's like a collector's item. It was stillborn. Like there, there was no prospectus yeah. uh, marketing no prospectus behind it, muscle. On it. Nobody bought it. Right, right. And, and, and it seemed like these individuals were one foot out the door anyway, in terms of what was going on with it. They went back to baseball, I believe. Um, I still have the letter from Todd Grenier telling me that football outsiders would never work long-term. Yeah. Uh, I don't have, by the way, the letter where I Karen at them and they Karen back. No, it's somewhere in office. some Yahoo group online yeah. somewhere. Mine might be in an AOL account, uh, mail account somewhere, but uh, you wound up, with Prospectus. Right. They called me the next year. And that's when I think I negotiated with Nate Silver to do Pro Football Prospectus because their publisher, they switched publishers. I think that's when they went to Workman. And Workman right. still wanted to do the football and basketball books. So that they contracted directly with us to have football outsiders write Pro Football Prospectus. And I believe this is your first book with us. Yes. Right here, Pro Football Prospectus 2005. 
with Matt Hasselbeck's name misspelled right there. <laughs> Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, uh, to share, and you can see that, uh, I contacted um, Aaron, I think in November, December of the previous year, and, and he's like, yeah, come do some guest comms. I do some guest comms. And like, you're simultaneously getting that gig and the Fox Sports gig. Uh, so you needed writers. You needed yes. writers. I come in and it's like, you need writers. So all of a sudden, like, oh, I went from teaching math and like doing some anonymous like blogging, although it wasn't called that at the time, to, oh, honey, guess what? I'm writing five chapters of a book now. It's uh, basically the book of my dreams because I wrote, I, I read abstracts growing up and perspectives. Now I'm writing five chapters. Oh, and I'm going to be doing stuff for Fox and I have a weekly column. la di da di da And it was, it was an absolute dream come true. At the same time, doing that book for Workman was craze balls. It was banana pants. Because, and, and Rivers, by the way, reminds us that, yes, I did say that Kevin Jones would be the 2005 rushing champion, and I'm still trying to live that prediction down. That's from the first ever edition of the Kubiak, uh, of the Kubiak projections, had Kevin Jones as the rushing champion. Um, yeah. editors, their editors they, were like, okay, they, were you they taught me, they taught me a lot about yes. keeping the book tight. Right. And I agree. I learned a lot from them, but there was also an, a, a little bit of, okay, you bloggers, okay, you internet smart alecky, what, what's what, we're going to show you how this is done type of thing. And so like, we got some really hard edits from them. And I think some of the edits were, were very valuable and some of them were kind of loopy. Um, and then after all of that, they, you, you know what we, you and I have no say over the cover, you know, who's completely in charge of the cover besides like picking the players workmen. So we, we get hard edited for months and, and like the deadlines were nuts. It was like three days after the draft. Okay. Where's the rough draft from this team? It's like, they just yeah. drafted their new quarterback. Like we have to like process this, you know, and uh, they do all. And, and then, so it comes out and crowd Papa couldn't be more excited. Matt Hasselbeck named Miss Bell right on the cover. We look like dipshits. <laughs> hard to say this. I've had a couple people, we've got a couple people in the in the chat saying that the Fox DVOA rankings are how they found Football Outsiders. Oh, For wow. people who don't know, in 2005, I did Fox's Power Rankings. And they were, they were based on DVOA. And I wrote a comment for every team yep. in their power rankings on Fox. Do we have an image of that? I believe we do. Oh, yeah. Look at that old picture of me before I went gray. <laughs> Uh, I love it because that was like our introduction to really getting uh, to the reality of internet journalism. I think like the responses to those uh, power rankings. I believe that is when the Atlanta football outsiders message board curse came <laughs> along. Uh, so to preface this, I believe it was one of the years Michael Vick was playing, right? Yeah. Uh, they started the season around five and two um, and their fumble luck as we use on football outsiders, the, the, the rate at which they were recovering their own fumbles was insane, was crazy. And so you were predicting, first of all, the, the ranking was low at a time when like uh, everyone had Falcons fever, the ranking was low. And you were talking about, well, the rate of fumble, and you, we, we, we use the term fumble luck because it's a, it's a good term. This is not sustainable. It's probably going to turn around at some point during the season. Now, up until then, you know, even on the uh, football outsiders, it was very sedate on our comment threads. We had dozens of comments. Lots of people probably were still commenting, and it was very, uh, very collegial, and it was uh, very uh, uh, relaxed. And then <laughs> angry fans came in droves 
and came after us like like incredibly hard about the concept of fumble luck. And most of them, we talk about the Falcons because most of them were Falcons fans at that point. They came from Falcons message boards. Yes, yes. And I, I it was like, it, it felt like, nowadays we're used to this. Oh, you say something on the internet, you say something. There was no Twitter back then, guys. There was no Facebook. Facebook might have just started back then. There was MySpace. Uh, you say something on the internet, 50 people come after you. This was like a, the birthplace for us of, oh, you say something on the internet and 5,000 people come after you and like, and like attack you uh, viscerally for like a, a month. Um, we also, uh, Brian asks if we have different power rankings on Fox and Football Outsiders itself. I can't remember, but we did have a uh, Football Outsiders had the chart. So Football Outsiders would have the table with the numbers in it. Mm-hmm. And then Fox would have the commentary. Fox ratings used previous years. Mr. Frug says Fox ratings used previous years rankings to stabilize things early. That makes sense. That's probably when I first created something like Dave. Yeah, I think that's what you did. You started doing that then. Out of recognition, I think in advance, so it's like our ratings will look kind of offbeat if we just right. base them off of DVOA. And it, we knew that like they couldn't, you, you didn't want them to look that offbeat if they're Fox's official ranking. So it's like, yeah, we'll mix in the previous year. And then 2006, we wrote for AOL Fan House, Fox, and ESPN Insider all at the same time. Oh my God. Who was writing? Was it, was it Mike MDS writing for Fan House? And- I think at that point, Mike was with Fan House full time, but I don't remember who wrote what and which articles went where. Mm-hmm. But that ended in 2007. We became just ESPN. And we've been with just ESPN ever since. People who don't remember, by the way, Fan House was huge. Yes. And you know, you'll see people like Stephanie Stradley and some of the other folks on the internet now. And they rose up through that because it was still a time when people would go, you know, log on to your computer and go to Google. You were still at that point maybe going to AOL or going to Yahoo with its big, busy screen or whatever. And whatever was getting fed to you was something you might click, especially if you were a more casual user as we were starting not to be at that point. So Fan House would have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of clicks and was hugely influential. And you and, and Michael uh, MDS had a piece of that pie. It's, it's, I've, I've almost forgotten. Well, I, we case. just had, we just did power rankings for AOL. I okay. was not a regular Fan House writer, but that's where Michael David Smith finally got a full-time job. That's where Ryan right. Wilson got a full-time job. Right, Ryan was there. That they Stephanie Stradley was one of their writers. Like they they tried to have like one writer for each team and then a mm-hmm. couple of national people, and it was a good operation for a while. Until they got the weather girls who were dressed in bikinis. Well, at the end, their, their readership had gone down, and AOL uh didn't know what it wanted to be, and AOL f- failed. AOL failed, honestly, and so there wasn't any money for fan house. You were uh doing the power rankings of Fox. And like the same day or the day before the day after, Troy Aikman was putting his power rankings on Fox. Yes. The Aikman efficiency ratings. Yes. Yes. And you guys, you had a little contact with him, I think, at some point along the way. I've talked, I've talked to Troy a couple of times. He's more open to stats than people right. think he is. Yeah. Right, right. Well, he'll, he'll get mad during a, a telecast. And again, the nerd rage will come in if he says, oh, I think they should punt there or whatever he might say. I'm like, oh, no, go after him. He was very open. He was in conversation with you. And his efficiency rating was based on some some metrics as well that he had gotten cooked for him. Yeah, I can't remember, but it was one of those let's throw it all into the pie ratings where it right. was like, we'll take red zone efficiency and third down efficiency and this thing and that thing and Late we'll and throw it all into an equation. Right. Whereas I think what I did that was really um, revolutionary 
was to really base things on play by play breakdown. I did not do stats that were like, let's throw everything into the pie with one big equation. I did a like, let's break it down play by play. And nobody had really ever done that before DVOA. And everything was contextual in that respect, you know. Right. And I was trying to think like a football coach, you know, they always talk about context. They always talk about situational football. And I was trying to think in terms of situational football. In a way back then as a power, and even now as a power ranking, uh, if you look at DVOA like that, it sometimes gives you a response that your casual fan will be like, what have you done? This team is three and oh, why aren't they number one or number two? And, and you've got like a mountain of statistical evidence to pile up. It's like, well, they're not really the best team in the league. They beat the two bad teams. They won on a last second, 58 yard field goal, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and that's where another thing DVOA it's, it's not just a power. It's not really is a power ranking. It's something different. It's something that's, predictive value. And because it can be broken down so many different ways as explanative value as well. Uh, I think we had a couple more screenshots of old football outsiders sites to show people. So I think we have the second football outsiders. If we want to put that up Uh, just to remind people of the old days of the internet and what things were like. So this is also before images, but this is after we had ads. Okay. You can see even not only that ad for Southwest, but you can see on the right side, we were part of the blog ads network. Do you remember blog ads? Oh my God. Oh my God. Catholic <laughs> you knew you, you Catholic match girl Catholic was one match of the blog girl. ads. Yes. <laughs> Folks Catholic match. I'm guessing was a Catholic dating service. Yes. Uh, a predecessor to like some very successful dating services now that have, you know, a, a religious theme to them, et cetera. And, you know, they had a model uh, that would be meet this girl on Catholic Match. And she was somewhere between Lisa Loeb and the Virgin Mary and <laughs> your crush from college. I mean, that was like the look of her. And it was a striking model. I'm not going to lie about it. But like she had this piercing look. And and, and, and Bill Barnwell would point it out and like other readers point out. It was somewhere between. Yeah, I actually find her attractive. And like this is this is what you see before the succubus comes and like, and like tears you down into hell. She was on our, our site for, she was like a legend on our site for a long time, for a long time for three or four years. And she popped up again once. And like, I remember the message board exploded. She's back. Oh my God, what's happening. But yeah, she was like our unofficial extra football outsider for a while. And this is, I think from two late 2005, this image. And she's probably and 16. Now. But go we're on. already doing audibles at the line and we right. at DVOA ratings at any given Sunday, like columns we still do to now. Yes, I believe Scramble did the Catholic match girl stare down walk of the week every week. <laughs> and this is so old. This is before, like you were writing for us by this point, and Ned Macy. Okay. Was, I don't know what happened to Ned and Tim Gerheim, but wow. this is before Vince, right? Before Rivers, right? Before Bill Barnwell. Rivers, you were about 13 at this point. I know you're watching. So and before Doug Farrar. It seems like that was I'm gonna brag, like the dream team. I'm gonna say that is when I was in there with you and Doug and Billy and Michael David Smith and Will Carroll. Russell was still with us. And that's no offense to the other guys. Ryan Wilson was there as well. But like we were we were we kicked ass for a couple of years. Then we all got jobs elsewhere, including me for a long time. Uh, but like it was it was amazing what we did, but that also seems like that's impossibly old. But there was no time before that. 
that there was no time before. But Doug was like on the message boards, right? Doug was just like. Yep. Doug was a fan on the message boards. He was linking to football outsider stuff, right? Because that was the Seahawks Super Bowl season. He was linking. He was running Seahawks.net. Wow. And I reached out to him to write a couple chapters in the book. And that's how we started getting involved with Doug, who's now like a big deal. He's a big deal. Billy's a big deal. MDS is a big deal. And we're Twitch streamers, so we're big deals. <laughs> <laughs> Rivers, you're a big deal. I can't remember. Did we do one more image? Did we grab one more image of what Football Outsiders looked like, the third version, the one that had images? We'll see whether... Like from three weeks ago before we... And here it was three weeks ago before we switched over. No, 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 no. This was what it was like for about eight or nine years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Is this like Remember the this? Euro... Like 2010, 2011. This is from 2010 when the Packers and Steelers were in the Super Bowl. Wow. But this is what it looked like for a long time when we had the one photo at the top right. in the big blue box. You still have the blog ads on the right side. It's just, and this is the point where people are starting to reach Twitter. Rivers wants you to know that in 2005, he absolutely was in college. He was absolutely in college. He was totally He was not in 13 years old. He was totally in college. He had that Joy Division poster up on his board, uh, on his uh, wall. Uh, this is when we were selling Will Carroll's dad's book. If you look oh. in the bottom left of the image, oh my goodness. you can see the Carroll Guide to Sports Injuries that we sold. It's amazing just how in those years, how much changed at Football Outsiders, just how much changed in internet journalism. Jay Molnar 94 says we were triggered by the Mendenhall fumble. Oh my goodness. I barely remember the Mendenhall fumble. Yeah, that was, you know, that's a Super Bowl, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Super Bowl that happened. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm now I'm stuck on the Seahawks Super Bowl, which. Uh... Well, I mean, we, that was, think, I think the Seahawks Super Bowl was the first time we did audibles for a Super Bowl. And we were all like, what on earth is going on with the officiating of this game? Right, right, <laughs> right. That, that was unreal. I mean, I've actually quoted that in other articles. Like, to give you some idea of what people thought at the time, I just want to point out, like, at that point, we were still all very, I mean, I think you, you and I were changing a little bit. We were still legitimate outsiders. Oh, like, yeah. Like, we, we, we talk to people now. We go to Super Bowls. We... Talk, that was I mean, before been, I had ever been to the combine. That I never went to the Super Bowl until 2014. First combine was 2011, 2010. I was 2010 or 11 for me. Mine may have you? been a couple of years before that. I stayed in a days in. Michael David Smith drove up from Chicago and date, and we stayed in a days in together. That was like a mile and a half from where everybody else was staying, and we walked it in the snow <laughs> to go sit in the. Uh, to go sit in the press room. Um, the, the, the lobby that they used to have it in back then. Yep. On oh, my goodness. Right. So, I mean, we did all of this, and you did all of this kind of, you know, from your office, from your home office, with a phone, with a modem, and without a lot of context along the way. And along the way, more and more people began reaching out to you, most of the time to complimentary, only occasionally telling you, like, like you don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm talking about in the, in the real industry. Lots of people... Like fans and everything told us we didn't know what the hell we were talking about. No, we were, but most writers were always pretty good about it. Right, writers. Were, and then you started talking to people in the league a little bit more and, and got a little bit more of a recognition that we weren't 
blowing smoke up the world's ass here. We did kind of know what we were talking about. Yeah, and there were other people who were doing stuff at the same time. There was Casey Joyner, and there yes. was the beginnings of Pro Football Focus. Um, so, uh, and there was like whatever they were doing on the, the blog at Pro Football Reference when Doug Dryden used to write yes. blog articles, and then Chase Stewart was writing blog articles for them, which right. has sort of become Chase's football perspective site at this point. Right. And it's a real, and that's an amazing site. But again, that's something that grew while we were working. Yeah. When I was doing, we were doing 2006, 2007 Almanac, and I wanted to get stats. I was still going to things like Total Football and things like that. We're going to team sites or you know, NFL.com did have a site with stats on it, but nothing like what we can just grab right now from Pro Football. Amazing Reference. to think about life before Pro Football Reference. I have my Total Football and my ESPN Football Encyclopedia, and there's no reason to have either one other than historical curiosity. Right, right. They're sitting collecting dust. They're keeping this thing up because they're at the bottom of it and they're very heavy. Uh, but that's it. And it, it's, it really creates a level playing field. And I think that's what we want to a degree. Because it'd be great to be like, oh, well, football outsiders, we're the only ones who can do analytics. Screw you. You have to come to us, buy a subscription, or else you, you won't know anything. But it, it, it's great that all of this information is out there for younger writers, developing writers, people who want to know, people who are just curious. They have all these resources in addition to you, of course. Well, to sort of finish talking about that, I think that the NFL Scrape R package, and which is now called NFL Fast R, which had all that play-by-play -play that was freely available, yes. really revolutionized things, where now anybody who knows the R programming language can get play-by-play. -play. Remember, when I started in 2002, I was cutting and pasting from ESPN. I was the only person who had a database of play-by-play. -play. Right. Like, right. the only one, like, yes. in the country. Yes, for many years, from about 2003 until about, I don't know, 2013, when Pro, when P, uh, Pro Football but, Focus started. Well, Pro Football Focus started, I think, in 2006. Mm -hmm. So they would, and Joyner, when Joyner was doing his charting, would have, uh, you know, a database of play-by-play. -play. But yeah, like when I started, there was no publicly available database of play-by-play. -play. And the fact that anybody who wants to can now get play-by-play -play all the way back to 1999 is just astonishing allows so many people right. oh my god they found a picture of catholic match no that's not catholic match girl i don't think that must be from a later catholic match girl ad that's not our catholic match no girl. if she popped up and i can't see the the, the stream right now if she popped up that i just clunk that'd be the end of it <laughs> that'd be it all <laughs> right it's, it's like saying it's like seeing an ex-girlfriend just appear at a, at a coffee shop and you're just like you're yeah, Kat Litch points out she's drinking, so I don't no. think she's the pure Catholic match girl that we remember. She oh, had like I? a, she was like lit from the back, like had like a <laughs> halo effect over her head, ha like halo effect over her head, and yeah, that kind of that kind of Lisa Loeb vibe. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's sign off for the week. This has been really fun going back into the past. I hope people who are listening later on as a podcast will go watch the video on YouTube. First of all, you should join us on Twitch every week because then we can have a conversation. Twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. One o'clock Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time, 10 a.m. Pacific. You should join us, but otherwise watch YouTube so you can see the old versions of Football Outsiders because man, we're old. We were old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we talk about I, I was like oh we're such young punks you know out there like changing the internet you're like 34 
We were, now, we're old now. I mean, we weren't old then, but we, we, we been, were pretty old, though. We were pretty old then. I've been doing this for a long time. 18 years is a long time to be doing one thing. Absolutely. And I'll be logging off to get ready for my son's high school graduation. And your um, son was basically born when football outsider. He was like three or four when you started writing. Yes. One of, one of my early articles was me talking about how my, my toddler can now say by Eagles. Uh, and now he is he is graduating and he's uh, so time for reflection, time for celebration. And of course, time to become an FO subscriber. Yes, folks, Football Outsider subscriptions are 50 percent off through July 1st. You'll make sure you get the copy of Football Outsiders Almanac as soon as it comes out. Kubiak projections, weekly fantasy projections during the season. So please come check out FO+. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching. Thank you to everybody who subscribed to the show on Twitch. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening on the podcast network after the fact. And we will see you next Thursday for the next edition of the FO Radio Hour. <laughs>